I'm ready. Welcome, one and all, to episode 198 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And for this episode, we have a extra special interview with Phil Rind of Sacred Reich. Uh, this is someone whose career I've been following for a very, very long time. Um, I got to see Phil back in 93... In more ways than one. Um, I will mention this during the interview, but I got to see Sacred Right Crowbar and Souls at Zero, formerly Wrathchild America at that point in time, uh, on on a tour. And I should have actually seen them twice, actually touch upon that in the interview as well. This is the most politically charged episode of Mars Attacks. I don't like talking about politics because... Um, there's a large section of the population who, in my opinion, just can't respect one another. Um, I don't want to get too deep into it, but I respect everyone's opinions. I respect, um, whether that's music, sports, um politics, whatever. Everyone has their own reason for doing things. Um, I'm not in favor of racism. I'm not in favor of any out and out, you know, um, bigotry or uh, any type of prejudice or things like that. I think everyone should have a right to, you know, pick the political parties that they want, pick whatever music they want, pick whatever religion they want if they want to pick a religion you know i i respect people that don't believe in god and don't believe in the way that you know religion is set up i think we should respect one another and try to talk and understand one another more uh now i don't want to get too preachy because after all this is a music podcast uh i'm definitely not you know, this is just my opinion. This is what works for me. It uh, doesn't mean it has to work for you. doesn't mean that just because you disagree with me, you suck. doesn't mean that uh, I will stop following you or I will stop being your friend as a result. You know, that, that that's just as, that's, to me, that's bad on either side of the coin. Um, I think extremes of any nature suck, you know, um, whether it's on the left, whether it's on the right. So, you know, whatever. Be free to choose what you want. Be free to pick whatever you feel is right for you. And shit, no one's obligating you to listen to this either. So thank you if you are. Um, if you don't want to listen to this episode because there's discussion of politics for like the first 15 to 20 minutes that's cool too just skip ahead you know the interview is roughly an hour long um i know that some people may have a preconceived notion of what's going on 
with or what the band may think of or what Phil may think of. But I think regardless of what side of the fence you lie on, I think it's an interesting conversation. Now, this was recorded right before the U.S. elections. So it was recorded um, uh, roughly, what, uh, two months ago? Uh, It was the end of October, if I'm not mistaken. So yeah, November, December, almost time to January. Okay, so three months. So this is technically the last like interview that I did. Um, I have been uploading episodes from the live streams that I've been doing on Fridays. Remember, if you miss the live stream live, you could check it out on YouTube. You could check it out in the Mars Attacks Facebook group. Uh, You can also, you know, if you're listening to this version, if you're listening to the podcast, uh, the audio version of, Mars Attacks, then obviously, you if you're subscribed, you're listening to those live streams. Um, upcoming guests will be uh, Brad Dahl of Yarg Metal. It's an online service and uh, an online music service where you can listen to all your favorite music, all of your favorite bands. Um, also, uh, we hope to have some gear talk with a special guest uh, hopefully next week, going to keep my fingers crossed. If not, in the near future, uh, should be cool. Anyway, um, without further ado, oh, actually before that, also, I didn't mention this, live stream, if you haven't listened to it, or if you want to check it out live, Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, and uh, 11 p.m. in the UK, midnight in Europe. Uh, you can fill in the blanks if you're in any of the other time zones. Um, if you want to follow the YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, so on and so forth, you can go to MarsAttacksRadio.com, kind of your one-stop shopping deal there across the top, across the bottom of every single page. You can find links to all that good stuff, including the Patreon. You can become a patron for as little as $2 a month. You get a bonus podcast called the Victor M. Ruiz podcast, where I uh, just talk about anything, basically. Also, some bonus podcasts. There are things that are no longer available on the web that I'm releasing there. So you could subscribe to that. And uh, depending on what you want to subscribe... It all depends on, um, you know, what kind of benefits you receive. Uh, $5 a month, you get another bonus where you get a uh, monthly cutting room floor type um, episodes. And uh, I have like a 15, mi- 15 minutes with Phil Rind uh, that will be uploaded shortly. So that's for $5 and up. And uh, also, I'm part of Mark Striegel's uh, Patreon. Uh, I do the Mark Striegel show, and I now do the recap show, which is basically uh, once... It's actually a, a bi-weekly... Um, am I saying that? Uh, it's a fortnightly. <laughs> I learned that watching Jeopardy last night. Every two weeks, basically. On the 15th, it's just me. On the... You know, 30th, 31st, last day of the month. It's me and Mark Striegel. 
talking about stuff that um, you know he has going on his on um, talking with Mark Striegel and on talking metal. So um, you can check that stuff out on his Patreon. The Galaxy of Geeks live stream is Thursdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, and 11 p.m. in the UK, midnight for those of you in Europe. And it's we've decided uh, Galaxy of Geeks has been in hi- on hiatus since roughly July. So what we've decided to do is that we're going to try to do a live stream every Thursday. That could be either Chris Vaglio and myself. It could be solo shows with either Chris or me. And we want to just keep content coming. I don't want to say we've been floundering, but, you know, we've pushed things off because of different uh, events going on in our lives. So um, being that it's a new year, we want to make the effort to continue to, to bring in new content. So if you are so inclined... That show is, once again, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. in the UK, and midnight, for those of you in Europe. Okay. Anyway, we've been uh, talking at length here, obviously trying to um, pimp all the stuff I have going on, but most of you are probably here to listen to the Phil Rind interview. Like I said... It's about 15, 20 minutes of us talking politics and then the rest of this interview, which is roughly an hour in length, uh, is me and him talking about music. So there you go. Uh, We are going to play a sound sample of Something to Believe. Please support the band, support the show, use the Amazon links that are in the show notes, and uh, pick up the pick up the song, pick up the entire album. It's one of my favorites of 2019. And uh, after that, we're going to jump on into the interview with Phil Rind of Sacred Reich. kind of sticks out to me the most recently with uh with social media is people's complaints about uh lyrics being too political or you know there was one like social media post where somebody uh mentioned something about um Tom Morello sticking to his music and not his politics um 
I followed you on uh, social media, you know, for for quite some time now. Uh, it astonishes me that in 2020, maybe someone, you know, listens to Surf Nicaragua and thinks the actual song is about surfing, or maybe thinks that the American Way is a rah-rah song about the U.S. and not about, you know, political things that you guys are trying to point out. Yeah, well, I guess there's a couple ways you can look at it. One is people have their own perspectives. And once you write a song and you put it out, it's not even really yours anymore. It's people's right. to, to put onto it whatever they want, no matter what our intention was and no matter how obvious our intentions were. Um, <laughs> and and it's frankly, it's for us, it's pretty surprising. You would think after all these years, people would get an idea of where we were coming from. But I, I guess... I don't know if it's the climate now or whatever it is, people get all worked up and get all upset. And the fans that are on the social media sites are always really fast and quick to say, have you ever paid any attention? And, you know, why are you surprised by any of this stuff? And, and who knows how much of it is real and how much of it is just trying to get a rise out of people. Yeah. Um, but, but I think by now it's pretty obvious where we're coming from, at least politically. Um, mm -hmm. And if people don't agree, people don't agree. That's cool. But to stay in your lane, stick to music stuff. It's just dumb. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not as if you know people haven't been writing about po political issues in their musics for how many decades now. It's nothing. Yeah, new. I mean, I mean, it's like you pick up a guitar and then you can't have an opinion on current events anymore. Right. It, it's it's ridiculous, and anybody can you know. People can have whatever opinion they want, whether we agree with it, whether we don't agree with it. This is part of the problem um, with everything that's going on is the the divide has gotten bigger and the rhetoric has gotten more uh, divisive where each side tries to demonize the other side, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, from, from the right-hand side, it's like Donald Trump is the last defense against some quote-unquote radical leftist socialist agenda and if 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 um what's his name biden wins america as you know it'll be gone it'll all be black lives matters and gay people protesting and no american flags and they'll probably outlaw you know apple pie so that's the fear mongering that's going on and on the other side it's like we're descending into a fascist Nazi America. Mm -hmm. And so everybody just starts fighting with each other. There's no middle ground. There's nothing to talk about. And it's very problematic. And I think people are feeling it in their families and their communities. I understand it to a certain degree, but it's, and it's hard to inundate yourself from it. It's hard, it's hard to inoculate yourself, I should say, and not right. be part of it. It's easy to get sucked in because in a lot yeah. of ways, the things that you see with, you know, guys jumping out of vans in police uniforms with no markings and snatching people off the street makes you wonder what's next. Right. And there's <laughs> a lot of crazy stuff, but it's also semi-isolated. You know, the whole stuff that was going in, going on in Portland, it was like, six square blocks and you would think that the entire state of Oregon was under siege. So it helps sell papers. It helps 
clicks. It helps all these things. And we have to just stop and cool the temperature and take a step back. I don't know. It's just really a crazy time. Plus, with with everything that's going on with the pandemic and being people being cooped up, I think it's just a, a powder keg of things coming together. Yeah, absolutely. I think I, I would I would agree with you because I think with people being even more focused on you know TV and social media and stuff like that, because all over the world people in, aren't able to get out or haven't been able to get out as much as they have in the past. It kind of makes you focus on, you know, what's become a, a clickbait society where the more sensational or the more, you know, like you said, six blocks as opposed to the way it was sold was that the entire state was on fire. You know, it's uh, it definitely right. I think I think they're definitely playing into, again, being being just getting the most views and getting the most people to buy you know, into the commercials that are in between the news stories is more important to them than actually, um, as as you're saying, trying to find some common ground or trying to listen to other people, whether you agree with them or not, and trying to hash things out in a different fashion instead of just, you know, pouring more gasoline on a fire, which is definitely not a solution. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it happen in my own family, you know, with we're, I mean, I'm probably as far left as you could probably get. And then there's family mm-hmm. members that are Trump supporters and, you know, your knee jerk reaction is like, what? Come on. Um, but it's just a small part of what people have going on. Yeah. And I, I don't want to hate someone because how they're going to vote. Right. You know, it, it, <laughs> I agree. It, it, yeah. You know, like, look, if they're total hateful racist assholes, well then they could go fuck themselves. But if if it's just a difference of opinion, and I know that it's very easy to demonize Trump because he's such a a dumb racist misogynist. A liar, all, all the things that he encompasses, and this has nothing to do even with his politics. It's just mm-hmm. him as a human, and he was all these things long before he ever right. became president. So it's easy to just say, "How could how could you buy into this? How can you listen to this? How could you believe someone who every time he opens his mouth lies?" I guess, I don't really know, I can't really speak from experience, but I would assume that there's something that he's talking about that rings true for people. And Mm -hmm. when, look, I never watch TV, but I'll watch the football game, right? And that's when I see all Mm -hmm. the political commercials. And it's all fear. It's all fear-based. Right. Not once is he talking about a program or a policy or anything. It's all fear-based because they know that fear is the biggest motivator, and that's why people go negative in ads. And, he, you know, when he was saying Antifa is coming to your suburbs, and you know, I mean, it's all coded. It's all racist fear stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and it's taking advantage of the fact, too, that, like, in the 80s, Ronald Reagan 
realized he couldn't do away with education, but he could defund it, which would be the same thing. And then you throw in all these Q people and all this conspiracy shenanigans. And you come to believe that people will believe just about anything. Mm-hmm. And people yelling fake news and people can't decipher truth from from fiction. It's it's really uh troubling, I would say. And what's right. the, what's the recipe to fix all of it? Is there one? Yeah, really that's the, yeah, that's that's a very good question. Uh, I mean, are are people even willing <laughs> to want to uh, you know, sit down and fix it, you know? Uh, unfortunately, I think there's too many people looking at angles and seeing how they could benefit themselves from something as opposed to looking at a big picture and wanting to fix something as a whole or work towards fixing something as a whole. Yeah. There's a book by uh, Matt Taibbi. It's called hate Inc. And it talks mm-hmm. about, it talks about um, how everything has changed. She's a journalist. His parents were both journalists. And he talks about how journalism has changed. Right. Um, from, you know, from say uh, several decades ago when it was kind of down the middle, right? You just kind of got to want to get the widest audience. And then, you know, he said several things changed first of being the 24 hour news cycle. So they just needed more and more content. And then that, there was a show called Crossfire where you get someone on the left, someone on the right, and then they argue. And that was also on the McLaughlin group on PBS all these arguments. And he said, you know, these are media companies and they're, they're, they want to sell advertising. So the better the ratings. So this all started happening. And then, you know, everybody started fracturing more and more and more and trying to play to a certain side. And it's just up to all the rhetoric, not to mention that there used to be, you know, 200 media companies and now maybe there's eight. Right. So there's all these things that went into the situation that we're in right now. And I just, uh, he did a whole podcast about it. I thought it was really uh, great. So if anybody wants to check out Matt Taibbi, uh, Hate Incorporated, I think it's uh, worthwhile. You know, the other thing I was uh, reading about was, what am I trying to say? Um, The propaganda in the United States is so strong that people people aren't even aware of what's being done to them. Kind of the right. brainwashing and um, just the propaganda that's been going on for, for decades and decades. There's a, a account I follow on Twitter called Existential Comics. It's a lot about philosophy and other things. But they made a very funny point and it said that capitalists have constructed the largest, most expensive, most sophisticated propaganda network in world history. They own TV networks, newspapers, movie studios, and advertisers. And the results are astounding. Most Americans hate socialism without even knowing what it is. Right. And it, it always baffles my mind. Like, how would people vote against health care? How right. do people vote against raising a minimum wage? 
people are voting against their own best interests because there there's so much propaganda telling them lies. They can't even mm -hmm. see it, and they've grown up this way. It's just part of the American culture, and you can't escape it. So to show people a different way, it's almost you have to unbrainwash them. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's just it it makes me kind of nuts, but. You know, despite all of it, I think uh, everything's going to be okay, and we shouldn't get caught <laughs> up in it too much. Right. Okay. Even though I've gone on and on about it. Well, I mean, it's it's a fair point, at least the, you know from from our discussion and and what you know I wanted to bring up about awakening. I, I think that awakening, even though you're touching upon you know political and social issues, it's really done in a way that you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation here, where it's kind of done so that once the lyrics were out there to the world, everyone can kind of take their own interpretation and, you know, understand what you're trying to talk about uh, from, from their perspective. Cause there, there are a lot of heavy issues that you're talking about that I don't think are necessarily partisan. They're human issues that, you know, when you touch upon things like mental health, where I I, th I think maybe one party or another maybe has done more damage, but it isn't necessary that one party or another has necessarily gone out of its way to help, you know, an issue with, say, soldiers coming back from war or, or, or things like that. So I, I do think that, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but the, the lyrics on Awakening were always kind of trying to touch on a lot of different issues and try to, you know, pardon the pun, awaken as many people as possible to issues that everyone is dealing with. Well, sure. I think I think the goal, at least on the record, was to put out something. You know, there are some songs on there that are pointing out uh, challenges that we have, like, uh, what's the song? Uh, Revolution, a Divide and Conquer. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, mo Ultimately, I think it's just trying to be hopeful and positive and just saying, yeah, we have these challenges, but we can do it. And and the political part is really difficult because, you know, someone said uh, America has a one party system, but in typical American extravagance, they have two. And, mm -hmm. and the truth is, is that as long as we have this enormous influence of money in politics, that none of it, none of it matters, ultimately. Right. Because everybody's taking money from the same people. It might be, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, mildly socially different. But ultimately, you know, there was a study. I can't, I can't remember if it was. I can't remember who did it. But they were saying that uh, the the opinions of the American people mean absolutely nothing. If, if the American people said we 100% across the board support this policy, it would have no bearing on whether that those laws would get passed or not. Mm -hmm. Has nothing to do with it, and that's to do everything with the people that contribute to political campaigns and lobbyists. So we already don't have a democracy that represents us because money is more important to politicians than the opinions of the people. And I think we've seen this 2008 when the economy crashed. You know, the banks took all the money and all the people lost their homes anyhow. And they found that right. you, you could steal trillions of dollars and no one will say anything. And it's happening <laughs> again and again and again. 
so I, I, there's no recourse for politicians. They don't feel like anything they do has any consequences because the way the system's set up, it, it, it benefits them. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I, you know, for me, I'm like, we, it's pointless to even talk about anything until we have fully funded public elections and take the influence of money out. And until then, we will get what we get. So we have to move past that and think about different ways of doing things. And I'm not sure what the answer is. I, you know, there's no way that politicians are going to vote to get money out because that's the money that keeps them going. There's no way that they would ever right. vote for term limits. Why would they ever, you know, vote <laughs> themselves out of office? So until we have constitutional amendments, um, we're kind of stuck where we are. But yeah, once absolutely. again, once again, I you know I see the younger kids and the older generations always put down the younger generations and say they're dumb, they don't know what they're doing, and we're all in big trouble. But I I see it exactly the opposite. I think the young people are going to save us from ourselves, and that makes me uh, positive and hopeful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I do agree with you. Um... I've, I had this discussion with my old man actually the other day with how, you know, either either one of the two candidates are going to be in their late 70s or, or early 80s, whoever wins. And I was, you know, the discussion I had with him was, is there no one who wants to see the future of the country have some ideas or different things to propel the country forward so that it gets better so that things change. So, you know, um, and, you know, we ultimately started talking about that term limits. Uh, how is somebody in their, you know, late sixties, early seventies or whatever, that's been in office for 50, 60 years going to say, you know what, I'm giving up the millions I'm making. So someone else comes along. I mean, until something has changed with regards to that, it's, essentially what you're saying it, it's just going to continue with the same system yeah and and i think you know whether you're liberal or conservative or whatever it is i think i think there's a lot of stuff that everyone can agree on you know yeah. and i think i don't think anybody's happy with the way things are going with with politics in general or politicians in general I think people know that they're only out for themselves and not out for the people. And we're just kind of left on our own. It's just how to yeah. move forward and, and trying to, trying to deprogram people against this word socialist or things that, you know, socialist means things that benefit the people. <laughs> so uh-huh. uh, I think the people can use a hand, but that's just me. Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've, I've had plenty of people that uh, have have posted, you know, well, uh, Hitler was socialist too, and, and I'm like, well, seriously, that's that's what you're going on, um, all all these years later, because I mean, I I live I live overseas in a Europe that's currently governed by a socialist party. Am am I happy with everything that they do? No, absolutely not. Uh, but uh, there are certain basic needs that I do think that people should be afforded um, that are kind of, you know, ingrained in, in being human, uh, you know, like you said, healthcare and, and different things like that. And, and don't get me wrong, uh, healthcare over here isn't exactly 
the greatest in the world either. But again, like you said, when you have money involved in medicine and in insurance companies uh, pulling the trigger for a lot of politicians, then people, you know, it, it, people are never going to be able to get the the healthcare that that they deserve. There's there's no reason why I can pay, you know, a, a dollar, the equivalent of a dollar, a little more than a dollar, for you know uh, ibuprofen. The the same dose, the same dosage, is the same amount costs you 15 bucks in Walmart. There's there's zero mm-hmm. reason for that outside of, you know. Price gouging and and you know the government allowing these pharmaceuticals to make the money that they're making. Yeah, I mean it, it, it shouldn't be that if you get cancer or something, your family goes bankrupt and you have to lose your house. You have to choose. Right. But it's not a humane way to live. Yeah. Uh, but like I, you know, what we were talking about earlier about the the propaganda is so strong, and they have so much money to to just overwhelm people with, with lies that the people just start believing them. Right. So yeah, it's, I, I don't understand it. I just think we could do a lot better job, but you're up against, uh, you're up against some entrenched forces. Yeah. Man, getting depressing. Let's talk about music. Let's talk about music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the one of my questions here um there was obviously a tw- a 23 year gap between heel and awakening and although you guys were playing off and on over the years there had to have been something that made you think all of a sudden or the band collectively you know what now is the time to record something new um was there one specific moment that led you guys to that decision uh, or, I mean, did you guys have material accumulated and you just felt like putting it out? I mean, what exactly drove you guys to finally working on Awakening and getting it out there? Yeah, I think it's mostly just the having some songs. We, we for all these years, we just never had any songs. And then one day the songs started coming back and we thought this is obviously a sign that we should go make a record. Right. It was just pretty much that. Okay. W- was it a case for you guys where you feel that you guys were maybe trying too hard to get songs or, you know, that was, was it, there wasn't enough inspiration? Was, was there something that you can pinpoint to, you know, kind of open that faucet up? Uh, not really. It just, it just kind of happened and it was, mm-hmm. it was, uh, it was great, wonderful, and a happy moment, and having that inspiration. Because I, I mean, I remember sitting down and actively trying to do stuff, and it just wasn't happening. Right. So uh, yeah, when when the song when my friend said it's almost like turning on a radio station, you know, the the songs just kind of start coming into your head. Yeah. And it happened. Started happening again. I I can't really pinpoint why or how and i'm not going to argue with it we just say okay and move along gotcha okay and obviously the album has been out for well over a year came out in august of of last year um Mm -hmm. how, how critical are you of of your own music do you sit back and nitpick with it and think uh you know well we could have done this better that could have sounded different or are you 
fully satisfied with the albums, you know, since it was released? Well, I would think there's probably a thing here or there, but, you know, when you're recording it and you're doing it, you have to be happy with it then. Right. And we were happy with the outcome and how it came out. You know, it's a snapshot. It's a moment in time. That's, right. that's what was going on right then. You know, mixes can change from day to day, how you hear things, how you perceive things. So you do your best that you can, and then you move along. Because there's no point of going back and beating yourself up. If if you say, oh, you learn some lessons about doing things, maybe it's how to record things, maybe it's song structures or whatever. And, you know, you're always trying to learn and get better. So you say, oh, we did that, we did that, and let's try to do this maybe on the next thing. And, you know, you mm-hmm. take notes and, and try to just use the things that you learn moving forward. Yeah, you pointed out a snapshot. I've always had people tell me that they relate uh, an album to, you know, an old photo album, which, again, is a snap, a series of snapshots from a certain time period. So a lot of times they equate it, they equate a musical album to a picture album in that sense, where, like you said, it, it encapsulates or captures a specific time period where certain things went on in life. Yeah, it's definitely, music can be very much like a time machine, where it transports you back to a certain time in your life. You know, if there were records that were important to you, you remember when those records came out and how it made you feel and what was going on at that time of your life. And so I think for me, music is the most powerful medium. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, for people that really love music, there's people that just listen to the radio and it's good enough for them. But for the people that really love music and it makes a big impact in your life, it's a soundtrack of your life. Yeah, absolutely. you know, some people were like, why don't you go back and re-record or blah, blah. And I said, I would, for me personally, I would never do that because mm-hmm. once again, that is of its time. If we were to go back and re-record Ignorance, what would the point be? To make it sound maybe technically better? But you right. could never recapture where you're at when you're 17. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, people saying, hey, is your next record going to sound like Ignorance? I said, how could it? Yeah. You know, it's over 30 years later. You're not the same person you were then. There's Mm -hmm. no way. And to go back and try to recreate that would be folly. You could always incorporate ideas or elements or things that you thought were good about it, but there's no, you can't go back and recreate stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't realize that there are human beings behind, (laughs) you know, the music. And uh, my very first interview that I ever did was a very successful artist. And that he pointed that out, that after he wrote his biggest album, that he never could write what he had done previously to get to that point. Because everything before that was angst and rebellion. And, you know, and then after that, it was five houses and Ferraris and kids in a car. And he was like, well, my life doesn't suck anymore. So I can't relate to that person anymore. Yeah. So, you yeah. know, it was, so so I get what you're saying. You know, it's sure you could probably listen to the same music that you listened to that influenced you to write ignorance. And you could probably, you know, um, try to 
record again something influenced by what got you there but putting a spin on it you know based on who you are in 2020 it's not going to sound the same it, it, it it's impossible or like you said it's just you know what so many other bands have done just regurgitated their their shit and you know does that make sense as an artist just to you know i don't know i, I don't understand the point behind that just continuously recording the same song over again yeah i mean look so people have their thing, right? Like if you listen to ACDC, there's a line, right? That goes through all ACDC records and they play ACDC music. Mm-hmm. Um, other people are more, want to venture out a little more. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't matter. It's whatever that you want to do. But even, even if ACDC plays back in black right now, it doesn't sound like it does on the record because they're just different people. It can sound very yeah. close. It can sound, you know, it's still, this, you know, a lot of the same people. Um, I just, I'm, we've always just kind of been interested in moving forward for better or for worse, you know, for whatever mm-hmm. people, for whatever people think about it. And people have their own opinions and all we could do is do our best wherever we're at. And that's all we're ever trying to do is make the best record that we can. I remember somebody made a comment on maybe our Facebook page or something, how he, he liked Greg better as a drummer than Dave. And I said, <laughs> what, you know, how do you base that on? He's like, well, you know, I like ignorance and American way and surf. I said, so you like the songs. It has nothing to do right. with the drumming. You like the songs uh-huh. from that time better. So just understand that it's, if Greg played on those other records, it's not going to sound that much different. The song mm-hmm. is still the song is the song. And he was like, huh, I never really thought about it that way. I said, that's okay if you like the earlier songs better. That's what you like. But don't say mm-hmm. it has anything to do with the drummer. It's just the songs. And he was like, wow. So that's okay. I don't, we don't care. Like, like what you like. If you like the older stuff, you like the newer stuff, you like all of the stuff. I understand. I I love Slayer with with Lombardo because I like those uh-huh. songs. That's fine. I understand how people are. It's not a big deal. We just got to right. keep moving forward. You know, we can't get bogged down in any of that stuff. And yeah, I, uh, every record's different. Yeah, I've I've seen some of the comments, you know, uh, that you're referring to with, you know, comparisons of uh, between Greg and Dave and then you know, with everything that happened uh, with Jason, you know, there was a lot of like, at least I think unfair comments towards you guys because people don't know what happens behind the scenes, you know? Yeah, um, people have no idea what's going on at all. And yeah. they comment. And we, like when we split with Greg, you know, like, look, man, I- I've seen other bands go at it with each other and no one wins, everyone loses. Right. No one wins. So it's just better. It's not a people like you owe us an explanation. I think we don't know anybody (laughs) an explanation. Yeah. Yeah. You don't. I mean, look, man, people love your band. Right. And people feel like they know you because, you know, man, if you sit around listening on headphones and you listen to a record for 20, 30 years, it's kind of like an intimate experience. And you may feel Mm -hmm. like I know these guys. I listen to the lyrics. I know there's stuff inside and out. And you feel you're part of the thing, and I get that. But um, 
owing people an explanation? Not really. Mm-hmm. I what's the point of even getting into it? I mean, it's pointless. Yeah, I, I think yeah. it's always best to say sometimes things just don't work out, and that's it. Mm-hmm. That's the that's the whole truth of everything. In any relationship, sometimes things don't yeah. work out. No one has to be the bad guy. It's just like things didn't work out. And, mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing with Jason, like, people have no idea. Like, me, I was the closest person to Jason in the whole world. So for anyone to say anything, it just says to me, they have no idea what they're talking about. And they don't. Right. So people can say whatever they want. People have this outlet. Whatever. But we know the truth, and that's good enough for us. Right. Um, as far as, you know, you guys just released the video for uh, Something to Believe. Uh-huh. Did you ever think that in 2020 you guys were going to be releasing four videos for an album? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and it's – well, and the reason is this, because we – we knew we had the divide and conquer video because we spoke with, um, uh, we were approached by the guy. I, I'm trying to fucking blank. Uh, who, who did that video for us. Mm-hmm. And he approached us and said, Hey, I'm a big fan of the band. I really like to do something. So we knew we were going to have that. And then, you know, we've worked with Mark since 1993 when he did the independent video. Right. So, you know, speaking to Mark about the video and he said, I sent him the stuff and he was like, I really want to do something for Manifest Reality. I have this thing in my head. And I was like, great. You know, we want to do this video for. Um... Jesus, my brain is drawing a blank. Uh, we want to do a video for something to believe. Right. And and we kind of want to do a performance thing. He goes, look. I'll do a performance video for you. I don't like doing performance videos and, and I'll tell you what, no one likes watching performance videos, but I'll do one for you <laughs> if, I, if I can do this other one. And we're like, okay, man, fair enough. And we don't care. Do whatever you want with the other video. We trust you and we love you. And then we were shooting the two videos in one day with Mark and uh, Tracy Vero's president of Metal Blade came down and me and Tracy and Mark were talking. Mark's like, what's the plan? said, well, you know, we have these two videos and um, the first the first thing was going to be Awakening. We don't have a video for that. And he, he goes, huh. And he said, you know, I think, I think we could probably set up and shoot a video for that pretty quick. Huh. And, and threw out a number to Tracy. Tracy goes, I'll prove it right now. And we shot three videos that day. So, wow. So to answer your question was, yes, I knew we were going to release all those videos because we, we had them all done. I, I, my yeah. idea was to release a video for every song on the record. I don't, I don't know if Metal Blade wants to fund all that, but I have, right. um, I have some ideas for a couple of the other songs and maybe, maybe they'll happen and maybe they won't, but um, I, it would be fun. You know, the video thing, since there's no, MTV or no real outlet. It just kind of comes and goes quickly. You know, video mm-hmm. comes out, maybe people are into it for a few days and then they're on to the next thing. It's it's our attention span. But it, it's nice right. to put out it's nice to put out our interpretation of 
of uh, the songs visually. Yeah. Yeah, I think all, all the videos that you mentioned, every all four of them came out really cool. So I Yeah, and our friend and our friend Fiaz made a like a manifest reality clip when mm-hmm. he, he was out with us for a a bit of a, a a tour run with some festivals and some club shows in Europe and he just put together another video just with that stuff of the shows that we did and that was super cool because that was really looking back and seeing a day-by-day thing that was going on yeah cool um independent still stands out as one of my favorite albums of the 90s uh when someone says you know the 90s sucked for music it's often an album that i point them to um I point them to and I say, you know, the quite the opposite. I don't think that the, the 90s suck. I think people probably have to go back and search out great albums. They're, they're there. Um, what are some of the memories that stick out to you for that album? Uh, first was working with Dave Jordan. Right. I was a huge fan of like Chains Addiction, Alice in Chains. And when Hollywood's like, who do you want to produce a record? We're like Dave Jordan. Um, and getting to work with him was really cool i think he made a great sounding record i don't Mm -hmm. i don't think it has like i think it's probably a little more polished doesn't have the edge of some of the earlier stuff but i think the sounds that he the sounds that he got were great and i think it's a you know it's i think it's a really good record and i think heel too i think heel is i think it's underrated because people maybe have moved on from heavier music onto different things or maybe mm-hmm. they went into really a lot heavier music, you know? Right. Um, maybe it was death metal or whatever that they were getting into at the time, and maybe we weren't extreme enough or whatever may be the case. But I went back, you know, ah, maybe a year ago just to listen to it to refresh my memory, and I was like, I thought it was pretty good. Yeah, I've I've interviewed a bunch of people that have worked with uh, Dave Jordan, and they all seem to point out like one thing or another that Dave really kind of pinpointed and brought out in their music. Um, do you think that there's anything that he brought out of Sacred's music that maybe others hadn't? Uh, I don't know. I I think you know. I remember sitting down and talking with him just about what his philosophy was producing records and, and his thing was that he goes, all the bands are different and people need different things. And he goes, for you guys, he goes, I just want to make the tightest, most kick-ass sounding record and put you on a, a level technologically with everybody else. Like these are the best amps. This is the best gear. This is the best equipment you can get to make the best sounding record that you can. And that's what he wanted to do. And uh, he, you know, it was funny for me, like going in there and trying to sing. And I'm like, man, you work with Perry, you work with Lane. I'm really nervous. You know, I don't want to <laughs> sing in front of you. And, and I never, re- and I always put something up. I don't like people looking at me when I'm singing in the studio. It's It's just a, it's gotten better, but it's generally a weird and unnatural process. And I'm used to singing with my bass and I never know what right. to do with my hands. It's always weird. You would think after all these years, I get used to it, but the answer would be no. But, you know, <laughs> Dave had, had a way of just making you feel kind of comfortable straight away. 
And I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I'm a little nervous. And he said, no, man. He goes, I like your voice. There's a nice bluesy quality about it. And that was one record I just kind of sang. And we didn't really double a lot of stuff. He goes, you don't need to double stuff. Your voice is pretty strong. And that was different than all the other records. Um, but I don't know. It was just a, a really cool process. I liked him a lot as a person. We had a really great time making that record. And I don't think you can separate the record from the actual process of making it. It's all part of the same thing. Right. And and I think that's why I think that's why Awakening kind of sounds like it does too. I think we're all very excited and super happy and super positive. And it was a really incredible experience making that record, even though we had a lot of challenges to overcome. Uh, I think it really brought us together. Okay. And there's, there to me feels like a, a definite connection between both albums. Uh, the song "Something to Believe" reminds me a lot of the song "Free" off of Independent. Um, to me, it almost sounds like a, almost like a slower version with like an updated message as to what you were trying to, you know, um, sort of get out there uh, with with that track on Independent. Um, was there ever a conscious effort to kind of revisit that song or did, did it just flow out that way uh, when you guys wrote it? Yeah, I think it just came out like that. It, I, I never really thought about the connection between the two songs and that song went through a lot of changes. Okay. Um, something to believe from when we started working on it to when we finally recorded it. And there was a long period of time where I actually really hated the song, the way it was going. And it just sounded, I don't know. I don't know. I just didn't like it. And when we got in the studio, uh, when we were working with Arthur, we kind of changed some stuff up and it sounded more Judas Priesty to me than, than Warrant or whatever. I was thinking it was sounding like earlier. It right. just sounded too cock rock for me, like for a whole <laughs> while, and I really didn't like it. And uh-huh. then it it morphed into something pretty cool, which we were all ultimately happy with. Okay, um, a few years ago there was this big uproar when it came out that Chuck Billy had to work a side job um, to kind of keep in in music to kind of make ends meet. Um, correct me if I'm wrong when, you know, shortly after heel or a little time after heel, um, you had started working outside of music as well to try to keep things going as well. Um, I know of a lot of musicians that, you know, when I've interviewed them have dropped hints or said different things. Um, so I, I don't understand why some people have seen that as a big deal that, you know, all these years later, music might not be the number one focus for a lot of people that have kind of stayed in the game. Well, I mean, after Heal, that was it for us. So there wasn't a way for me to sustain myself as a musician, you know, and right. have a family to support. So you do what you have to do. I will tell you one thing, though. Uh, it makes you really appreciate playing music because although you may be able to do other things and, you know, put your skills to use in other areas and do whatever job. And it just reminds you 
how fortunate you are to be playing music because it's really the only thing I ever wanted to do. And I can do other things, but I, I fucking hate it. Right. It, it was, you, you, you just do it, but it's not, you can't even pretend that you like the stuff. And if you can find something that you like to do and you enjoy to do, I think you're, you're really ahead of the game, whether it's music or whatever, you know, people have all kinds of passions and all kinds of jobs. You know, sometimes right. you're stuck in a job you can't fucking stand and you just do it because you have to. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you're lucky and you have a job that you like, you know, that you were able to put a little bit of yourself into. The other thing, though, is <sighs> mentally, even if you're doing a job that you don't like, can you find something about it that you do like and make it right. a, uh expression of who you are? instead of but there's just so much bullshit out there exploitation and there's so many fucking dickhead bosses you know people don't leave jobs they leave bosses because people are just insufferable sometimes yeah and very true i I mean i i think i went through that even just being in the band for a while just being too fucking serious i'm like you know forgetting it's just rock fucking music and you know at the end of the day, everyone's going to go home and it's going to be okay. Even if you make a mistake, it's all going to be right. all right. And that's <laughs> what I think some of the experiences, you know, from earlier when we played have come through now to to just remember and to have the right perspective on what we're doing. Right. Um, back in 93, when I saw you guys, um, one of the things that, uh, took place around the same time period as you guys were featured uh, in High Times. And all these years mm-hmm. later, obviously, um, marijuana is being legalized all over the U.S. Uh, do you feel that there's any sort of vindication um, from your behalf as to, you know, all these years later that kind of, uh, you know, things are turning around and, and people are seeing that it isn't, you know, again, as you're saying, the propaganda that's fueling and fearing people away from it, and it's actually turning the corner and it's being something else now. I don't know if vindication is the right word. I'm happy that okay. people won't have to go to jail for smoking weed. I think that's great. I think it can help a lot of people out. I think the availability is great. I think uh, the economy can use it. I think a lot of things. It's actually on the ballot here in Arizona. We just voted. We just voted for it, too. And it was funny. I was listening to the public radio station here. And it was on the ballot last time and just narrowly was defeated. And this time, there's $6 million that were $6 million less to oppose the passage of the law. They said (laughs) a a, a million dollars came from this guy from Discount Tire who passed away. Another $500,000 was a pharmaceutical guy who's now in jail. And they had somebody on from the Chamber of Commerce, and they said, look, there's only so much money. We can't put another million dollars into trying to fight it. We've we've uh, allocated our money other places. So now they've decided to fight uh, a tax on people making over $250,000 that would go to education. So they thought they should just fight the education <laughs> fund instead of the weed fund this time. And I just think those people need to be smacked around. Yeah, that's crazy. I, I, 
I would hope that those same people now wouldn't want to, you know, take advantage of any tax revenue that's made off of legalizing it, you know? So, I mean, yeah. if, if they're so opposed to it, then, you know, hey, well, then use that money to, to fund education instead. Well, that's, know, that's, just, that's part of it. Part of the money, part of the tax money would be allocated towards education. But it's it's a three and a half percent tax on people making over two hundred fifty thousand filing singly or five hundred thousand filing jointly for classes, and we're one of the lowest. I mean, we're like twenty ninth, no, no, like forty ninth in the country in school funding. You would think that people would like their neighbors to have an education, but you would probably be wrong. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> Is it uh, too early to talk about a, a follow-up to Awakening? Is is the uh, faucet still open, or is, is that temporarily shut for now? Not, you know, we don't have anything else to do. We had we finally put out a record after all these years. We, <laughs> right. we, did, we did eight weeks in the States with Gar, which was amazing, and five weeks headlining in Europe with uh, Night Demon. And right. we had 2020 fully booked. It was like Australia, Japan, New Zealand, Europe, the United States. You know, the whole we were already booking 2021. And then mm -hmm. obviously everything came to a halt. Uh, so here we are. And I said, well, what, what can we do? Let's, I mean, we could work on music. That's something we could do and take a positive. I mean, the, the positive thing about all of this is getting to be home with our families, which right. when you're in the middle of a record cycle is really tough. You know, you're always gone and mm -hmm. out work and, and we would have been gone a lot. So the positive thing is to, to all be together and it will give us some time and opportunity to work on new music. And then we just have to wait, you know, see what's going on and uh, see when we can get back out on the road when it's safe for everybody and uh, go from there. But yeah, we, we just been working on music. I guess to answer the question. Okay. Um, I was actually supposed to see you guys open up for Pantera um, back in, again, 93. It was supposed to be at the Roseland in New York, which is no longer there. But uh, when we got to the, uh, when we got to the gate, we found out that there weren't, as many tickets allocated to us as we thought there were going to be. Um, I guess the show was overbooked or, or something along those lines. But um, can you talk to me what it was like touring with Pantera back then? Oh, man, it was so fucking fun. So it was just us and them, and they were touring Vulgar, which is like my favorite record by them. Right. And it was before they really, really blew up. We were doing theaters yeah. mostly. Mm -hmm. and they were getting along real good and we were just having a lot of fun. The shows were incredible. Hanging out with those guys were great. It, it made me, it always made me laugh because when you think of rock star, like all the fun aspects, that's right. kind of how it was. And like Daryl was totally out of control and fun and crazy. And it was just a, a really great time we we had done like we had done the tour with Sepultura, Napalm Death, Sick of It All in the States, and then we went and made that record, and then we went out with Pantera. We went out with Danzig. It was two really incredible tours. Really lucky to do with some incredible bands that, you know, you go and watch every night. It was just amazing. It was amazing. And I would go sing, I would sing Rise with with them every night because it was my favorite song on the record. 
there's a lot right. of words. And after the first night, like Phil was kind of struggling a little bit, you know, like skipping a line here and there. And he came off. He, I'm like, dude, I'd sing that song with you every night. He goes, please do. <laughs> and uh, so that was super fun to sing my favorite song on the record with them every night was really cool. And the guys were awesome. And we had a great time. It was one of my favorite tours. Cool. And I got to see you a little later on. It was when you guys were headlining with Crowbar and Souls at Zero opening up. Um, got to see you uh, at a place that no longer exists uh, in Newark, New Jersey, that was called Studio One. And, um, and, and it was funny because I was in, you know, I got along really well with Kevin Estrada, who uh, worked for Hollywood uh-huh. at the time. Yeah. And and he told me, he said, I'll oh, show up early, uh, you know, see them sound check. So me being a naive 19 year old who had been to very few shows at the time coming from a ultra religious family. Um, I can't tell you, I don't even remember how early I showed up for that show. I remember I saw a bus parked out in front and I knocked on the door and and you came out. And I said, uh, I said, yeah, you know, Kevin told me to, you know, show up early and see you guys sound check. And you were like, uh, yeah, that's like in another two hours or something. I forget what you told me. Um, so you motioned me to the to the venue and um, and I went inside. They they let us wait and I got to see everyone like set up and and every band sound check. And um, and then later on, you and Jason came up to me and talked to me for like a, a few minutes. So that was uh, pretty cool. But um, uh, again, similar similar to my previous question, do you have any memories from touring with uh, Crowbar and Souls at Zero? Yeah, it was super. That was the Rock for Pot tour. That was the normal tour. And <laughs> okay. and, and those and like I think it was Crow, one of Crowbar's first tours. Right. And the Souls at Zero guys were were killer. They had a lot of stuff going on in their band. Mm-hmm. And we would sometimes have one of the dudes on the bus if they were fighting with everybody else in the van. But right. I, I, you know, I, I just thought they were great. They're great musicians and great dudes. And obviously like Shannon mm-hmm. uh, was a really cool cat and wrote, it was a writer and he would bring us stuff that he would write. And I just always thought it was really interesting. And he was had such a unique style of playing. And I remember years later, like watching MTV or something. And I think it was what what's the, uh, a Godsmack video, maybe the first Godsmack video when he just joined the band. And right. I remember there's a, there's a dolly shot, like with the camera zooming in from pretty far out on the drummer. And they're coming right. up from behind him. So you don't see his face, but just from, just from how he was playing, I'm like, is that Shannon? And then sure right. enough, it was Shannon. I'm like, oh man, that's so great. Cause he had been playing, you know, forever and ever and ever and just loved playing drums and just such a wonderful musician that I was so happy that he got a break, you know, whether you mm-hmm. like Godsmack or not like Godsmack right. to be able to make, to make a living as a musician, to have that kind of level of success. was, I was really excited for him. And the crowbar guys were super fun and, Kirk always had tons of funny stories and uh and Kirk was the one that shaved Dave's head. Like Dave had long hair coming out at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and mm-hmm. Kirk's like, You're not you're not fooling anybody with that dude. This is what we're gonna do. You're gonna come with <laughs> us. We're going down to Tampa because you're gonna come with us. We're gonna drive down to Tampa, I'm gonna shave your head. 
<laughs> and he did. <laughs> and Dave always says like, oh man, Kirk freed me. He liberated me from that, that hairdo that I had. So it, it was a lot of fun. I remember we went to DC and uh, the guys from the National Normal were there and they busted out this humongous freezer bag full of weed and we're, and we're like oh man can we get some of that they're like this is for you and we were like what wow that was that was really cool yeah it was a lot of fun that tour yeah you could actually possibly say that about all three drummers because crowbar's drummer went on to play with uh, black label and then dave obviously yes. played with machine head for a while so that was like you know all, all three guys kind of went to went to other bands and got no, notoriety there um I I remember Dave still had long hair when I saw them when I saw you guys, um, and I remember Shannon when he he got carried up to the stage. There were two people that carried him up to the stage, and I was like, "This guy gonna be able to play?" And once he got behind the kit, no problem at all. He was just fucking amazing. So um, yeah, it was that was a. A, a very eye-opening uh, experience and show and the, the whole thing. So, yeah, um, a lot of good fans. Yeah. Um, Dave was actually my second ever interview. I referenced that I would interviewed someone else before. My first interview was Dee Snyder, which I kind of conned my way into that. And uh, and then after that, any like semi-metal-related uh, interview, I, I didn't. And I got to talk to Dave, and it was funny. Somebody asked me recently if I had any of that stuff around. I said, yeah, I've got it on cassette. And they were like, oh, please release it as part of the podcast. And I started listening to the Dave interview, and I was so nervous talking to him. I'm like, well, you know, people are either going to think that it's someone impersonating Mickey Mouse speaking to him, or it's, you know, they're going to know that I was so fucking nervous that my nuts are in my throat. You know, so I'm like, there's no way I'm putting this out there. So, um <laughs> yeah, it was it was great. Um I again, due to due to the connection with Kevin Estrada, I was able to get uh independent on vinyl signed by you guys. Um I have uh, I still have the original cassette copy of Independent in the old like white promo um like kind of uh you know, I don't know how you call it, but instead of being like the actual cover, it's a white it's a white cover that it looked like somebody typed the name on in typewriter. Yeah, um, like the advanced, and, the advanced copy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go, the advanced copy. And uh, and the other day, actually putting putting away some of my uh, wife's stuff, uh, I pulled out the old. Uh, I have the VHS for for Independent for when that was released uh, out to radio. I was in college radio at the time, so uh, I was. Uh, I was lucky again. Kevin was probably the best connection that I had, or the nicest person that I spoke to. So anyone, anything Hollywood related, got got promoted a lot. And and actually, before I forget, I actually had a little um, uh, something that uh, Disney uh, frowned upon that went out. The uh, oh, the bong, the bong, the bong. Yeah, yeah. I had the bong up until I moved overseas. And uh, since I was told that anything that I was shipping overseas would be looked over by customs and all this shit, I was like, well, um, I can tell my parents it's a uh, pencil holder. But I think once uh, someone in customs who knows what the fuck they're talking about or knows what to look for, I may get into right. little trouble. So it, it may be time to leave this behind. So. Uh, so, yeah. So I, I I I appreciate all your uh 
time. Um, I do want to ask you one last thing. To uh, end the interview, I like to have uh, the bands pick a song off of their latest release and kind of give us, you know, any behind the scenes story or anything, you know, related to why you're picking a specific song. So if you want us to play something off of Awakening, uh, what song would you pick and why? I would say Manifest Reality. Okay. I just like the song, it's super heavy. And the funny story about that was we recorded all the other songs and I didn't have lyrics for that song. And we right. were, getting, you know, we had the last day of doing vocals and Arthur's like, eh, probably a good time to write some words for that since you're going to sing it tomorrow. <laughs> and I was like, okay. Uh, and I just went home and it just kind of came out pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And I, I like the lyrics a lot. I just think they're really positive. It reminds me of my teacher a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just like that song. The other one would be Salvation, which is actually probably my favorite song on the record. Okay. So you, you can pick whichever, whichever one you want to do.
All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I want to thank uh, Nikki Law over at uh, Metal Blade for making that happen. I also want to thank Phil Rind, obviously, for coming on. And um, and the band, uh, Sacred Reich, definitely a band that I've been into for a very, very long time. Thank you for all the years of music. And, uh, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed that. I hope the, um, for those of you that don't have the same political ideas, hopefully that didn't turn you off to, uh, to the music or the show. And, uh, like I said before, you're definitely, uh, it's up to you, it's your opinion, whether, you know, you agree, whether you disagree, whether just parts of that make sense to you or, or whatever, you know, no one's holding a gun to anyone's head. Um, I want to thank you for listening to the episode and uh, Phil gave me the option of either playing Manifest Destiny or Salvation. So we're going to close this show with a little bit of Salvation. Uh, thanks again. Hope you check out the live show this Friday. And in any event, uh, again, thanks and see you next time right here on the Mars Attacks podcast. Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks podcast. This concludes our show. 